0: Welcome, grateful that you're here. We are on a mission from God, like the the Blues Brothers, if you're old enough, to change this world by love. This world is lacking love, and so we're creating a day that we can love, and that day for us is every Sunday. And we're grateful that you're here. If you're new, a special welcome. We love having new people. Now, my buddy Jeremy, who was just up here giving the announcements, is a really bright guy, and he's created this sermon series called I Don't Get It. And the questions that we don't get are endless. As we were talking about this week, all the things in life that we don't get. Here's a few of them. I don't get God. I don't get God and what he's doing at all. Why would a good God do crazy things in this world? And why isn't he stopping all the things that are happening? I don't get it. I don't get God's plan. Is his plan so bad that he has to constantly fix and he had to bring a savior to save us? What kind of plan is that? I don't get the Holy Spirit. I don't understand that this thing that's magically walking around me and moving in me doesn't make sense because it never speaks to me. I don't get it. What is it? How is it? What's it do? How come some people are weeping and I'm just angry and bitter? I don't get God's will what is God's will am I in it am I out of it am I against it am I for it what is God's will there's all kinds of things that we see in the gospel that we struggle with why do we worship what's the purpose of worship God requires us to bow before him and worship is he that insecure why do we worship these are the questions that we are going to discuss over the next few weeks The first week, Jeremy talked about God, and we don't get God, and he gave us some really good attributes. So go to the website, journeythechurch.com, and you will find a great place to hear his message. Last week, we talked a little bit about evil and suffering. The topic is humongous, and there was a holy man up here with a holy jacket preaching a holy message. Today, we're going to talk about discipleship. What is discipleship? What does it mean? Am I in it? Am I against it? Am I part of it? Am I actually a disciple because I accepted Jesus? Or there's another level. Is discipleship another level? I don't get discipleship. I don't know if I'm doing the right thing or I'm not doing the right thing. These are questions that we don't get, and we want to turn to God. Now, before I get started in the message, I just want you guys to realize that the world didn't end last night, so you guys are safe. Now, I'm saying that because some of you might thought that you didn't get raptured, and, uh, and that would mean that I didn't get raptured, so we're all stuck. But I was hoping that it was going to happen because then I wouldn't have to go through some of the rehearsal that I did last night. At 9 o'clock, I'm like, eh, the world's going to end. Why do I need to worry about it? The point is this. This is another thing that I don't get. The Bible tells me, and this is how I read it, maybe you should check and fact check me. The Bible says no man or people or person will know the time and date that the world is to end. Since I've been, I'm going to tell you my age. I know it's going to scare you, but I was born in 1969, March 7th. Write it down on your calendar. Uh Since 1969, 73 prophecies of the world ending have not come true. In the last five years, 17, it sounds like it was going to be a great day on the 23rd. Guess what? We're still here. No man, no woman knows. And we're going to preach the gospel until the time that Jesus comes. And so we're excited about that. I want to start with a a quote from a guy, Robert Henlon, in 1960 run, wrote a book, and this quote, and the name of the book is called Stranger in a Strange Land, and it's a quote from uh, Exodus, Two verse 20, but it's a book and it's a really weird book and they made it into a movie and it's a really bad movie. So I'm not trying to get you into the movie, but what it says is really impactful. It says, most neurosis and some psychosis can be traced to the unnecessary and unhealthy habit of wallowing in the troubles and sins of 5 billion strangers. Now you can tell that's in the 1960s, 50 years later, where At 7.5, almost 7.5 billion people. So we're moving in a rapid rate. We need to slow that down, by the way. Um, That was a joke if you didn't get it. uh, It's not my control to slow that down. Um, But here's what it says. Anxiety, psychosis, neurosis, all the things that are making us neurotic is because we're focusing on the 5 billion people and their sins and their troubles and not focusing on ourselves. We're not working on ourselves and in the plan that God has for me specifically. I'm more worried about Andy. I'm more worried about Eric and what you're doing. And God says, Jeff, just turn the mirror on yourself and promise you, you'll get better. But we're so focused on everybody else. My wife has this quote, I never get it right. But if we focus as much time on others than we did ourselves, we would be these amazing Christ-like people. And that's what God wants in this discipleship path. Our memory verse talks in Psalm 119 about what God is trying to speak to us about who we are and how we were made. Psalm 119:73 says, your hands made me and formed me. Long ago in the womb, your hands made me and formed me. And what else happened was he gave me understanding to learn his commands. I have something deep inside me that was formed and made at the beginning of my life that gives me the ability to understand God and his plan so that I can make him part of my life and I can shun the things that are holding me back. And I don't know about you, but I have a bunch of anchors and I've had a bunch that I've had to let go and cut off and release so that I can be the most free human that God wants me to be and be a follower of Jesus, calling myself a Christian. So what is biblical discipleship? What does it mean? How does it work? Am I in it? Am I out of it? Do I want to be in it or is it going to cost too much? That's the question that we need to answer. And of all the questions that we talk about, this one, even though it's kind of a, eh, kind of topic, is probably one of the most important topics because being a disciple is the very core of who we are as Christians, and being a discipler and in a discipleship path actually shows me what am I supposed to do outside of church. When I come to church, I'm really filling up my gas tank. Who went to the gas station this week? A lot of hybrids in here. Again, wait another week and a half. Good for you. Uh, I go quite frequently, it seems like. I used to have this truck that I would go every three days. It was miserable. I'm grateful that I don't have that car anymore. And at the time, gas was five bucks, so it was really an arm and a leg. The point is this. Church in your discipleship path should be like, oh, I'm getting low. I need to go to church. And this church realizes that we need it two times a week. So we also have a Wednesday service to come together to worship and hear the word of God and bring this fellowship. So we want to make sure that we are available. We're like the AM, PM. You guys are shaking your head. That was good. We're trying to make sure that church is part of your life and, and it's part of your activity. So what is discipleship? And actually, is it even in the Bible? The answer would be no. The word discipleship is not in the Bible. It's actually an English word that was formed out of other words, Greek and Latin, and it's actually not in the Bible, and it's this very ambiguous word. The English language is very limited. Other languages are very articulate in the way that they communicate. The The English language is very limited and ambiguous We have words that have multiple meanings, and here is a couple meanings of the word discipleship. First of all, the discipleship word can mean the path that I'm personally on. I'm on a discipleship path. I'm personally on this path, and this is how I'm learning and following and living a life for Jesus. The second definition of discipleship would be the path that I'm taking another person on. What is your discipleship path? So that word has multiple definitions. And it really kind of tells us my path or the path that I have in discipleship. And I do have a discipleship path, which is believe, follow, and disciple. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. So what word is in the Bible that would make sense and show us where this comes from? Well, this word in the New Testament, it's the Greek word, Mathatuo is to make disciples. And it's in one of the famous verses in Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. But is the meaning is to make disciples. And what that means is to convert a non-believer or someone who doesn't believe into a, somebody who does believe and then show them how to live a Christ-like life. That's really what it means. We may become more Christ-like. But here's a more in-depth uh, conversation about what it means. It's really about com- the complete understanding of from conversion, the day of salvation, and continuing that day of salvation until you meet your maker, Jesus, and baptizing and teaching the ways of the Lord. If we look at Matthew 20, uh, Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, it says, Therefore, go and make matatuo, these disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then the second thing is, that you are to teach them a lifelong process of how to walk in the ways of Jesus, a lifelong process. Most of us believe it's just a ticket to heaven, and that's all I need, but really, when it says, "I believe and I become part of it and I make disciples, I'm walking with someone until death do us part." And that's the purpose and plan. Our salvation experience is to be growing, not to be one day. It's a process. That first day started the process. The completion is when you graduate into heaven and you meet your maker. And Jesus grabs a hold of you and says, well done. Good job. Or not. You can. So how does it happen? How does discipleship happen? And are you being discipled right now? And where are you being discipled? And what is the purpose of your discipleship? and is it making sense to you and are you getting the most out of your life with christ i hope you are our church is really focused on connecting people to god not bringing people in and filling the coffers with lots of money and lots of people it's really connecting people's heart and their mind and their soul to a god of the universe through jesus and allowing the holy spirit to really minister so how does that happen I think we get confused a little bit, here's what Oswald Chambers writes. He's got a couple of great quotes to help us understand discipleship. The show business, which is incorporated into our view of Christian work today, has caused us to drift from our Lord's concept of discipleship. It is instilled in us to think that we have to do exceptional things for God. We have not. We have, to, we have to be exceptional in ordinary things, to be holy in mean streets among mean people surrounded by sword sinners, and this is not learned in five minutes. The discipleship path does not come from the pulpit. A lot of churches over the last 15 or 20 years, it says, it's all about discipleship and think that you can preach it into people's lives and this will make you a disciple. The truth is it doesn't happen. What happens is you need to be in a community and the community helps us disciple. When we baptize and when we bless kids and people, we're actually asking the community, not the pastors, to help grow these people. That's what the discipleship path is. The TV and the media and the social media says, all we can do is exceptional things, and it should be done, and if I just do one or two of those things in my life, I'm doing the right thing, and I can post it, and I got 600 likes, yay. Jesus doesn't care about likes. He cares about action. Get it off your phone and do something for the glory of God. And he wants us to not focus on this five-minute message, 55-minute message, or a 26-week process of going through a book. And then, congratulations, you're a disciple. It goes from the day that you accepted until the day that you meet your maker. And that's the discipleship process. Jesus communicates us into this place in the Bible in this action-packed book called The Gospel of Mark. If you were going to make an action movie about the Bible, it would be in Mark, because Mark, even though it's 16 chapters and it's the smallest of gospels, it's full of action. He open up Mark, and it goes right into the miracles. It's got the most miracles in the shortest book. And in the middle of it, we come to Mark 8, and that's what we're going to read today. So if you're able to stand, please stand. And we're going to read in a place where Mark is challenging us to look at Jesus in a way. And in my Bible, the subtitle in my NIV Bible says, The Way of the Cross. If you want to follow the way, and Christians used to be called the way. This is the way that they're following. This is the way of the cross. And this is the discipleship plan in an action book. And God is challenging you and me to be a part of his action plan. Mark 8. 34 says, then he called the crowds to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple. Let me read that again. Whoever wants to be my disciple, you should have this underline in your Bible because it's telling you what you need to do. They must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Something we hear quite frequently in churches. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give for, in exchange for their soul? Here's the tough one. This is the one that's really got me thinking today. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words... In this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. Tough words, but really words that we need to understand. Now, what I want to do is I want to pray. But here's the thing church doesn't work by the pastor being filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking into a church that's not filled with the Holy Spirit. Hopefully, I'm hearing from God, and I'm speaking it, but it would be better if we're all hearing from God, and whatever I say is being translated to your heart, so let's pray for transformation a revelation, salvation, and pray, God, to use the words to speak into your life and change you forever, so let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you, and we thank you for your son, and we ask that the Holy Spirit start working and moving so that we can understand you in a deeper, more powerful way, so that we can be in the process of discipleship and be called a disciple of Jesus Christ. Transform us, speak to us, build our salvation experience for your glory, Lord, not for my own will. We love you and we praise you and ask for you to work deeply within us because we love you, Lord. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. So here's a verse that we hear a lot and we see Christians and pastors quote quite frequently. Here's a verse that says, oh, just deny yourself and pick up the cross and everything's gonna be good. And by the way, don't be ashamed of me. And you will be a disciple. Well, the truth is, all of that is true. The truth is, all of it makes sense. If you wanna be a disciple, you need to look at your life and say, am I a disciple? And after the word says, For whoever who wants to be my disciple, the first thing they need to do is deny themselves. You need to deny who you are and what you are and what you think you are. And you need to put God first. And that is hard. I I stand up here saying, I realize the task that I'm asking you to do. It is not easy. For if you're like me, I love myself. And I'm thinking about myself constantly constantly. I always am thinking about, what does my hair look like? How about those shoes? Did I brush my teeth? Gosh, I hope I brushed my teeth. I did, by the way, so. Did I have coffee? I'm thinking about myself all the time. What am I going to have for lunch? I'm going to take my father. Let's go eat. And all this is going on, and I'm preaching at the same time. So, I mean, I I got a lot of stuff to work through. (laughs) But I've got to deny myself, and I've got to realize that uh, myself got me into predicaments that I never wanted to be in because I'm a luster of life and things and thoughts and ideas of things that I want. And it's not just a sexual thing. It's about, I want a car. That person's car looks good. And look how cool they look. And look at the house, the jeans, the pants, the hairdo. I want, and we have this concept. And God's saying, deny self and then pick up your life. Now, what does that mean? Pick up your life. Do you remember the old hobos? Any hobos in here? I see you, but thanks for raising your hand. Welcome, by the way. Basically, it says, pick up your life. All the good things that have happened. Man, some of us had some spectacular things. I think about the birth of my girls and and, and getting married and some great and wonderful things that has happened in my life. I got to take all of that, which is easy. Yay, Jesus. And then i got to take the bad stuff. And there's been a lot of bad stuff. And then I've got to take the ugly stuff, the stuff that I don't even want to share. And I've got to wrap it all up. And the Bible says, pick up your cross and follow Jesus. Now, this is my own personal cross. I can only take my cross until I'm right. And this is a cross that my buddy Mike Morissette gave me. And it's a, it's a verse that me and my family shall serve the Lord. And this is my personal cross. And I am to do what Jesus wants me to do, pick up my life and walk, with all of my baggage, good, bad, and ugly, and make it part of my journey. And that's hard to do. It's easy. Oh, he's got a cross. What a nice holy man. But the truth is, I realize how hard it is because I have had to do it. I'm up here standing from a place of experience, not from a, a, a pastor's, 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 pastor's son. I'm coming from the depths. And I realize that it's going to be hard, but don't come and think that it, just because it's hard, you can't do it. That's what God, that's what God wants. He wants us to, to let go and let God. The Bible says if you hold on to life too tight, you're going to lose it. If I get my girls and I'm smothering them and I'm strangling them, they're wiggling it out going, I'm 18, let me go. And I'm like, no, I'm going to grab on tighter. What's going to happen is I'm going to lose them. And they're going to walk away from the gospel because I'm too ridiculous and I'm not building them up. If you hold on to stuff and you grab onto it too tight, it will slip between your hands and you will lose it. But if you release them and say, we preached the gospel so strongly in their life and not only preached it, we've lived it out. We picked up our cross. Then we have an opportunity to show them that in all things, God can show up and do great and mighty things. So, I've got to pick up my cross, I've got to follow Jesus, and I've got to be willing to let go and let God and do it for the gospel, knowing that I've done the right thing. I've done the best that I can with the tools that I've been given. And here's the thing I didn't raise my kids with Dr. Spock, I've raised them with Dr. Jesus. And actually, my wife's the one that does it, so she's the one that gets all the credit. So clap for her, not (laughs) me. That should get me good points for a couple weeks, right, Len? Very true, though. So here's the other thing. A disciple has dreams. Anybody have dreams? I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm a huge dreamer. I mean, and I'm not talking about dreams at night. Oh, weird stuff coming out of the walls. That's not... I lived that life of drugs and alcohol. I know what that is. That wasn't a dream. That's a nightmare. Um, I'm talking about I have huge dreams, huge dreams for for you and this community and this country. I've had big dreams. If you saw the dreams in my head for God, you would be blown away. But if they're not of God, he says, I want you to take your dreams and put them to the side because I have better dreams for you. I have a better plan for you and I want to do greater things than you. And so I've got to be willing to take my dreams and my life and my wife and my girls and my car and everything that I think is of value and I have to put it on the side and give it to God and say, the gospel's better for me and I'm gonna allow God to work and move mightily in my hands. That's what the text is saying. And then it says, what good is it if I gain the whole world, if I come to the end of my life and I've got a car and a house and I've got this trophy wife and I've got all these things in my life, but I've lost my soul because I've put it on hold and I've never done the work that I need to do to become a disciple. What good is it? It's no good. Let me ask you about your soul. How much is it worth? Put it on eBay and see what somebody will pay Have you ever seen your soul? How can you measure what it's worth? And that's what Mark is challenging us through Jesus' words. What could you actually give? Five million? I honestly, I'm a pretty vain guy. I think I'm worth more than five million. I'm in the 20s or 30s. I'm like one of those professional athletes. I got to be high, high, high kind (laughs) of. Is that really worth my soul? What's your soul worth? You had to sell it for a moment. And then you have to live with it the rest of your life. That's what Jesus is communicating. And then finally it comes, if you're ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you. That's just the truth. That's, that's human, it's human nature. You know, I get it. My girls are 13 and like, you're embarrassing me. Get over it. You know, and they did. And we'd have to drop them off down the road. And then we'd drive by honking, Mom! going to make me drive i'm going to make it worse for you so (laughs) but the point is this that we shouldn't be ashamed it's one thing to be ashamed of your parents at a certain age but at some point to be ashamed of the savior of the world the one that's come in and changed your life and put you up even in the midst of the darkest hour that's wrong here's what scott mcknight says about this he says those who aren't following jesus aren't his followers It's that simple. Followers follow, and those who don't aren't followers. To follow Jesus means to follow Jesus into society where justice rules and where his love shapes everything. To follow Jesus means to take up his dreams and work for it. Jesus has a dream, and it's bigger than Martin Luther's dream. It's bigger. Not that that's bad. His dream's awesome, but Jesus' dream is that everyone will come to the Father and know him and celebrate and worship him, not because they have to, but they get to. And in that, this world will be radically transformed because the love of Christ stands strong and in us so that the world will know that Jesus reigns. He has a big dream too. And he's hoping that more people will step into the process of discipleship. My discipleship process is this. Very simply, if I meet with you and you're asking where I'm at, I'm asked, do you believe? Are you following? And are you discipling? And once you believe you should instantly start to follow and disciple. I was listening to a pastor this week, somebody I listen to quite frequently, and I got really offended because he says there's no difference. Once you are saved, you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, and that's just not true. That is not true, and I was so offended because I'm like, I love this guy. He's been around for years. He's someone I listen to regularly, and the truth is this. Many of you, many of us in this room, in this country, believe in a God. And even would say, I'm a Jesus follower. I believe in Jesus. But many of us are not following when we got, walk out of here. We fill up our gas tank and we screech out of here. Ear! And we're no longer following Jesus' plan. We're just believers. First, you believe. The second point is to take the word of God and start to follow it. These black, and, these black letters on this white page and make it part of who you are. Now, I want to go through four things that help us understand what a disciple would be doing. First and foremost, says disciples believe and then follow. First, you believe, you got to have that belief, and then you follow Jesus. You got to believe and then follow. And here's what it says. When we encounter Jesus, he calls us to come to him, die to self, die to our own pride and our selfish ways. That's what the text says. And, uh, and he calls us to follow him and learn from him. He wants you and me to be fishers of men. Matthew 4.13 says, come and let me teach you how to become fishers of men. Bringing them into the fold. And that's not just men. It's all humanity. Let me bring you into the fold and show you how Jesus has impacted my life it doesn 't matter if you 're smart or not smart, rich or poor, old or young, and what race you're, what race you are, where you live, if you live in a mansion or by a tree it doesn 't matter. The only thing that matters is to first believe, which is repent and turn from your sinful, selfish mindless ways and ask God to come in and help you guide and move in a way that makes you less and him more and ultimately you would be called a Christian because then you would be showing a little bit of an image of Christ Christian says as a definition you're a little image of Christ and you're beating down that big image of Jeff not me personally you gotta put your own name in there But are you a Christian, or are you just a big image of yourself? That's what a disciple or a believer has to understand. The only requirement is first believing. The second thing is, once we believe and we follow, then we imitate and replicate. What do you follow? You follow the footsteps of Jesus. Jesus came in and picked up his cross, and he didn't do anything wrong. He was innocent, but he still said, I'm going to pick up the cross of the world And I'm gonna take all the sins and I'm gonna walk towards Calvary and praise God that he did. Because he shows you and me when we get stuck in our life, as I'm holding my personal cross, all I can do is march towards Calvary and bring my stuff to the foot of Jesus. Imitate and duplicate or replicate what Christ wants. That's what he has. A a, A heart of a follower of Jesus is to duplicate what Christ is. Lose our life as Christ did Put ourselves on the cross as Christ did. And if you do that, you will gain a life far beyond your own imagination. You know, when I first came to Camarillo and I was struggling with, with all of my stuff, I had a dream. And here's what I wanted to be. And I was looking at my journal last night and I got this bag full of letters that my mom wrote. And I was writing. And all I really wanted to do was own my own business. I wanted to make some money. Actually, I wanted to make a lot of money, but I didn't want to tell you that. And I wanted to have a house up in the hills somewhere, and I wanted to support missionaries. I wanted to go on missions trips, and I wanted to be a great tither at the church. That's what, that was my goal. Uh, very simple. And I'm like, that's a pretty good goal. But here's the thing. God has a better imagination and a better idea of what he wants for me. I wrote myself a letter, and that letter is a lot less than what he gave me. He's given me a life more than I ever could imagine. And if I duplicate and imitate him, he will give you and me more than I can ever hold on to. Yeah. Are you willing to give up your dreams for God? To duplicate and imitate, we, have, we are called as disciples to imitate Jesus' love. John 13, 34 talks about this love, this love I give you is a command. If you love me, you're gonna follow my commands. He says, I want you to follow my mission of being fishermen of men and women, to fill all the churches in this community and in this county and in this country. We don't need to fill journey. We need to fill all the churches. Follow his mission and dream. Become humble. This world needs a lot less bravado And a lot better humility and humbleness coming from the pulpit and from your mouth and your heart. That's what Jesus did. He was one that was in service. He washed the disciples' feet. He wants you to wash people's feet as well. They're nasty. But that doesn't mean he doesn't want you to do it. He also wants you to buy into his suffering and your suffering. Last week we talked about evil and close with suffering. He wants you to buy into suffering. He suffered, why wouldn't you? Amen. And finally, he wants you to be obedient to the father. The father wants obedience. Just like I want my kids to listen to me. But my girls are growing up and they're going to choose their own ways. All I can do is give them the best guidelines and hope they will put them in their own lives. But the Father has that same mindset for you and me. He wants us to be obedient. The third thing is to help other people. A discipler of Christ is to learn to have this personal relationship, this amazing, beautiful relationship with Jesus. And that's awesome and magnificent. But if you just hold on to it and you sit on it, it's incomplete. You're supposed to share your life with another person. If you're sharing it with your family, praise God. That's what you're supposed to do. You could share it with your mom and your dad. You could share it with your kids. You could share it with your neighbors. Today, the garage door opener is the biggest problem in this world because the neighbors don't talk. Garage up, run in. Bye, Bob. Bye, Sally. I'm going to church tomorrow. We need to help other people. Being a part of followers is intentionally helping other people learn about Jesus and become more Christ-like. Being intentional. My buddy Randy, who was in the first service, was sitting there, asked me this morning, Jeff, would you like to go through a book with me to become a better leader? I said no, but I mean, it was a good idea. I'm just kidding. He was intentional and wanted to walk because I'm challenging myself to become a better leader. Not from the pulpit, but down there. You have to be intentional. John, would you like to walk to the cross for a year and a half? John said yes, and we did. And then John started to walk and bringing other people to the church. We have to be intentional in helping other people. Don't just assume, because that makes something out of you and me be intentional. I'll just leave it at that so I don't mess myself up. Disciples also need to depend on grace. You know, when I was 17 or 18, and my poor parents... I feel bad for him. I knew everything. I mean, I got smart kids, but I knew more than anybody possibly could know at 17 and 18. And by the time I was 28, I got really dumb because I didn't know anything about my own life because I was spinning out of control. And now as I'm at this young age, I'm not going to tell you, but 1969, 48, uh, at this point, my kids realize I don't know anything. But here's the thing. In our life, as Americans, we stop to rely on the grace of God, and we start relying on how you work and what you do. And we forget about the grace. We can't forget about the grace. We depend upon grace. A true disciple never forgets about the grace of God. We must always remember that apart from the sustaining and empowering grace of God, John 15:5 says, "We can do nothing. We have nothing to offer this world. Whether you're a pastor, a plumber, a policeman, a physician, or a parent that stays home, apart from the grace of God, we in this world that call ourselves Christians really can do nothing. We gotta remember that as we get older and we get more wise in the word because we stop doing what God wants us to do. Eric Lindell says this, you know as much of God, only as much you will know as much of God and only as much of God as you are willing to put into practice. Faith is a practice. Disciple is a practice. Medicine is a practice. Lawyer, engineer, all these things we do are practice. Christian, we are putting into practice faith and saying, I'm gonna put you first and I'm gonna practice my faith in all that I do. And the more that you do, the more that you're willing to get out of God. Now, one of the greatest Christians, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about on Serve Sunday uh, at the end of the month of August, Peter kind of shows us. And Peter's heart is for the church. Peter's heart is to raise up Christians and build a movement that will change the world forever. And it started with 12 and it expanded to in 2017 that we have two and two and a half billion Christians with 12 people. Peter wants you to get this. And here's what he says. So anybody like homework? Well, wow, you guys all went to Chico too, huh? <laughs> I know my sister-in-law always does. Here's some homework tonight. We're read second Peter chapter 1 all the way through like 16 or 17. Here's what Peter wants from the heart of a disciple. But I'm going to read a little bit just so that you can get a little bit of taste. And first, uh, 2 Peter 1, 3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life, and through our knowledge of him, he has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us the very great and precious promise, so that through them they may participate in the divine nature, escaping the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. We have a power given to us by God through Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and we get to live in this divine nature that God has for us. That's our job, is to live in the power and divine nature. And that's what he wants for us. But here, that's just the beginning part. Here's what Peter really says to us as disciples. Here's what it says in verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. He gives us some words. And my buddy Ed, who's on the council team a couple of years ago, gave us about 30 words. And we did about 36 words that Christians should be following and understanding. And he gives, Peter gives some of these words. He says, add to your faith this, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and knowledge, self-control, and self-control, perseverance, and perseverance, godliness, and godliness, mutual affection, and mutual affection, love. Here, if you want to be a disciple, Peter's writing a letter to all the churches that are ever going to be in existence. If you want to have this, put these words into effect in your life. But wait, it's more. like an infomercial for if you possess these qualities in an increasing measure they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ if you're ineffective and you're unproductive and you're not seeing God move and work and disciples and people growing around you it's because you're not putting these words into action but whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind forgetting that they have been cleansed for their past sins Humans are great forgetters. We're going to walk away in 30 minutes. The sermon's going to be gone. We're going to struggle to remember anything about it. And we're going to forget that I've been washed and cleansed by the Most High God. And he has adopted me and I'm the son of the Most High God. And that together we can change the world one person at a time. Peter really stands strong with us here. In this Bible... And it's just like yours, I promise you. There's words. White paper, black letters. These words need to become part of who we are. They need to be guidelines administered by the Holy Spirit and lived out for the glory of God. Now, I've got a bunch of words that I want to give out today. I gave out a bunch last service, and I'm going to give out some words today. These are guidelines that Christians that call themselves disciples should follow, and here's what they are. The first word that I have today is obedient this is what we need to do to be Christians we need to be obedient and we need to live this out well how do we do it what we need to do is we need to take this and make it part of our invisible way we live our life when you walk out of here the word you need to have on your head and in your heart and in your soul is I've got to be obedient to God I've got to make these invisible words become part of my DNA on my everyday walk and journey with Christ I've got to become obedient the second thing that I need to do as I walk out of here is I need to be loving. This world is struggling, and it's not loving. This church is growing in ways that only God can see, and it's doing it because we're loving. We're loving the unlovable, and we're loving the people that love us back. One of the things that we need to do is walk out of here and put our, 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 our life into the love and arms of Jesus Christ. Another invisible word that we need to do is forgiving. I don't know who's in here, but someone in here is desperately struggling to forgive someone. Someone's been offended, has been hurt, and is struggling with forgiveness. And what I need to do is walk out of here and say, I'm the son of the most high God. And in God's forgiveness, I can learn to forgive. And I take these invisible words and make them part of who I am in Jesus Christ. Another word that God has given us that need to be part of our DNA is compassionate. Do you know why people shoot up schools and banks and churches and all kinds of things? Because nobody listens to them. My daughter was fighting yesterday for us to listen to her for 10 minutes. I mean, it took 40 minutes to tell the story, but it was a 10-minute thing. The world needs people to be compassionate and listen. If you listen, we will let people talk. Even if you don't believe in them, it doesn't mean you can't listen to them. You should be strong enough in faith and so we should be compassionate. Some of the more invisible words that we need to live in, I got a couple more. This is the one that hurts. Many in this room aren't accountable to anybody. You have no accountability to your own self and so you just run rampant in this world. You need to be in an accountable relationship. I've got five or six men around me. I've got two or three that I've told everything and they tell me, I assume everything. You got to be accountable. You got to walk away and say, I'm accountable to so many people in this church that I'm not going to fall victim to the things that the, the enemy in this world wants to do. Here's another word, which is faithfulness. Yesterday, I did a service for a girl named Lori. Lady went to church, loved this church, loved all of you, and she passed away. Her life was miserable as we were going through her stories and all the things that she fought. had to be resuscitated in an elevator as a toddler she went off a cliff in a car all these things that she survived and she even fought cancer and her heart gave out as she was going through the cancer but listen this lady was faithful to the end of life she walked and told people about jesus she is dying in the chemotherapy room and she's telling people that jesus lives this world this law Letting the invisible faithfulness live inside of her. Totally a touching day. How about this? I need to live a righteous life. God says that I'm to walk in a breastplate of righteousness. I've got to walk out and say, I've got to do the right thing even when I want to do the wrong thing. I've got to think the right thing. I've got to say that's not who I am. That's my old self. And I've got to be righteous. And I've got to put the blessed of righteousness on and let the glory of God reign. Amen? couple more invisible rules and then we'll get to the worship. You know what? One of the things that Christ has given all of us is hope. Somebody in here needs to see that apart from God, We can do nothing but in the midst of trials and tragedy and chaos. God is the hope of the universe and he wants to transform you and change you and glorify the things that are struggles in your life so that you can remain hopeful. And this hope will will be a testimony to the person next to you and to your neighbors. We need to live a life of hopefulness. And here's the last one. And this is the most important one for me. The one that I've had to struggle with most of my life. And that's truthfulness. By nature, I'm not a truthful person. I've had to work hard for 15 or 16 years to put the truth of God and the truth in my mouth so that I can be a truthful man. So that today, the truth comes out of me. It's not natural. It's a miracle. But I've got to live in the truth and I've got to speak the truth about who I am and what I am and not be ashamed of what Christ is. Now, listen, this is not a very rocket science, powerful message from the standpoint that, that you've never heard any of this stuff before. It's a very similar message. But listen to what Peter says at the, in, in, in the same chapter, 2 Peter chapter 1. Here's what he says. Therefore, I'm always reminded about, uh, remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth that you have been taught. It's only, the, it's only right that I should keep reminding you as long as I live. I'm here and I'm going to be here reminding you as long as I live that Jesus is alive He wants you to be a disciple and get off your duff from believer to disciple. He wants you to follow him and please take someone else. If it's your kids, great. If it's your parents, great. If it's your neighbors, great. If it's your spouse, great. Take someone along the ride with you and watch God do miraculous things. Amen. (laughs) Let's just close our eyes for a moment. Father, you've given us words that need to go from black and white to part of our DNA. These invisible words. Sow these words upon our life. Obedience, love, forgiveness, compassion, accountable. Truthful, hopeful. Make these part of who we are. So when we walk out into the mission field, we are doing your will. Father, if there's someone here today that doesn't know Jesus and wants to get on the best team that's ever played. The Christian team, if they want to be a part of your plan and a part of your will, and they want to be a winner in Jesus Christ, even though their life doesn't look like a winner, they can accept Jesus right now. If that's you, will you repeat this prayer? Church, there's someone here that wants to do this. Will you just all repeat this after me so it's easier for them? Repeat after me. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart. Come into my soul and be my Lord and Savior. I know that you died and you rose again for me. Thank you. Anoint me with your Holy Spirit right now. Fill me up with all of your grace and mercy so that I can be a follower of you for the rest of my life. We praise you in the name above all names. Amen.